But Angelo said that if he if she took Lemonade there, it wouldn't be an issue. But if you're saying that if you're saying that she didn't take the album there, then Angelo could have gone and shaken his niash. You know, and put them, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Welcome to another Black in a Box. The world is told by black faces in white spaces. Hello everyone. How are we all? Heated. <laughs> Heated. I'm Theek. How are you? I'm, I'm very, very ready to have a good chat. He's Dom. cozy. Dom, you are? I'm blessed, man. All good. Comfortable. And our guest, Simeon Brown, back. Finally, finally you guys invited me back. Finally, but cool. Off, off the south bench and everything, you know, I'm back. Bro, sometimes you, get, you, you know the guests that good, you just gotta let it marinate and let the people build up around them. Build up around them. Well, thank um, you for having me back. Mate, thank you for coming back. Thank that you. short notice as well, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. And I say, one call away. <laughs> always ready, always ready. Happy Pride Month as well. Yeah, for Indeed. sure. Yeah, you know, what have you done today to make you feel proud? <laughs> <laughs> I survived, man. It's been a long old week. That's what I did. There we go. What have you done today, Alana? Today? You, do you know that song? Did that reach the states? What song? And people. And people. Proud. I know. Yeah, sing it. Go on. What have we done today no. to make me feel? You don't know that one. Don't know her. No. Nope. She did the World Cup final, rugby World Cup final, and my goodness, still got some pipes on her. To it? this day. To this day. Big up Pepper Small. I know M people, but I don't know Proud, I don't think. You know, oh wait, is, it, is, that, is that Whoa. Pride? Uh, na, 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 pride na, na. No, 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 no. Anyway. <laughs> Have you two done anything to make yourselves feel proud? I mean, I've been up since 5 a.m. today. I went Oof. down to Bournemouth to go and uh, shoot an interview um, for a story today around artificial intelligence. On the train back, the story then got dropped. Good. So uh, I feel proud to be awake whilst Hay Fever is kicking my ass. Yeah, yes, very that, that. What can I say? Listen, does that happen often? Getting dropped, as in going to the effort of actually getting it already, doing a thing, and then having it. Yeah, I mean it's an occupational hazard. It just comes with the territory. I've had like two pieces this week get dropped. Wow. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mm. can tell I'm not bitter about it. <laughs> <laughs> I ate a rainbow bagel. Oh, that's what I did. You black, uh, squ black square in pride. Say that again. I don't need to say it again. The mic picked it up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's homophobic to say the bagel was trash. Because the food coloring messed, I think it messed with the recipe because it was really doughy and really it, was, it wasn't very good. Mm. But whilst eating the bagel, my employer had put on uh it's, it's put on a program of events for pride and was listening to the referee chris ryan atkin ryan atkin i think his name is um parentheses sic if it's not his name and he was talking about his experience as being like the first openly gay official in the football league and what he'd gone through and and how he's you know he's feeling a lot better in, in being himself and then there was a q a at the end and i remember him telling this story about um about how he'd faced some difficult questions when the World Cup was in Qatar and he said he'd spoken to this official, the FA and the official's like, well, you know, we've got to balance like trying to, trying to be 
create a safe, inclusive uh, environment with the realities of, 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 you know, being in a, in a capitalist sport. And when we are working with countries and, and partners which who don't necessarily share the same values, we can have conversations behind closed doors, which, you know, you wouldn't be able to have otherwise. So, and I thought, Okay, we'll we'll let that. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, you know, it came up that it was a setup because later on, someone said, "Well, if you asked a referee there, would you referee?" And he was like, "Well, <laughs> you know, I told you the story before." And it's fair enough because everyone's got their own sort of individual decisions to make. And we've spoken before about um, being imperfect allies and whether doing one thing should entirely invalidate your point of view and your contribution in that area. Um, you know, and when you take grubby money, um, I know where this is going. <laughs> it can be deemed hypocritical, but you know, your fans, your friends, your stands will say there's a bigger picture at work. <laughs> Should we get the screenshots up? Alana, <laughs> what did you rate Beyonce out of 10? Uh, a million, a billion. Best show you've been to? Actually, yeah, best. I would say it was like, yeah, it was the best show I've ever been to. And to be fair, I've 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 gone to a lot of shows, but I haven't really done like big pop icons or legends before, and especially people who are like big vocalists. Um, so I had an amazing time. I went with amazing people. Um, and I know we're gonna get into some of the controversies <laughs> around this and around in this Pride Month, but I think considering it was Pride Month, so many queer people were there. Um, and just, it was all about freedom as you know Beyonce even said, um, and feeling free and just having fun and like being your authentic self. And I feel like that was exactly the experience that I witnessed and had. So there. I mean, I was there also, and <laughs> <laughs> it was. To be fair, it was. It in parts, it did feel quite, uh, quite spiritual. I, I was, I was a guest at someone else's party, and I still felt that, like that the, the. What do you mean by that? In terms of, I like Beyonce, but I was on the floor, and these people liked Beyonce. <laughs> so I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's, so you, it's, so you just, just kind of like Beyonce. Exactly. Yeah. Basically. And I thought it's something I should do. I should go to this. And it was, it was like, I'm glad. That's yeah. why I didn't buy tickets. And I'm so mad about it because I was letting that mm. influence me, but I loved the album. But and that it, was what stopped me from getting tickets. And the thing is like, it really was like, I thought I was being clever by being like, let me get my like full silver outfit and like my fan and this, that and the other. And I knew some other people would dress up, but it was some. like <laughs> every single person was like, custom this and handmade that and like they showed out and it just felt like especially with this album which i'm sure we'll talk about it so clearly speaks to so much obviously in the queer community but specifically black queerness that it was just i don't know amazing to be in that environment where people were like this is for us let's show up and show out can I ask you a question, right? Because I know I said this to you all in the group, right? That it felt like it was my inner hipster that stopped me from getting those tickets because it was so mad. Do you think people would have put in that amount of effort for their outfits and everything and gone mad were it not for social media? 
Because it felt like, for me, most people were going there so they could take a picture of themselves at Beyonce dressed in but, the but one, but one thing I will say though is that Beyonce is a social media phenomenon as well. Mm. So the fandom is all about that kind of community and that, that yeah. beehive spirit. And that is entirely kind of concentrated by social media. Mm. So I don't, I don't think you can almost divorce the two. I think that I think that that is what has propelled her to-, to Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. And I think that is why, as much as I regret it now, I'm kind of like, maybe I wasn't supposed to be there because that's not what my fandom is. My fandom is bump it in my headphones and I'm cool with yeah. that. But it was still a great show though. So I, yeah. I, I mean, that, that, that feels odd to me. I feel like you're looking for excuses. Because <laughs> I'm looking for help, man, honestly. So that, was a, that was a big rave. It I looks like say, it, man, it looks like rave. it. I sat by myself. <laughs> I was sat by myself in that stadium. Oh, you and went too? I, yeah, 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 I was there. And it's funny because I was of the mind, I was, I'm someone with my schedule's always changing last minute. Mm. Even today, I didn't know I was going to be here till 20 minutes before the show. So my schedule's always up in the air. I can't plan things in advance because I might get deployed somewhere. Um, next week, I'm in Washington. I didn't know I was going to be in Washington a week ago. So I was like, let me not commit any funds. Then a friend of mine, uh, Jason Okende, he's a writer, um, a queer mm -hmm. black man. He's got a book coming out next year called Revolutionary, Revolutionary Acts about uh, black gay activists in South London. Mm. He reviewed it. He's a, he's a hustler though. He went there three times. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, two of them reviewed him, paid for those tickets. And he was like, listen, this is a show that you can't miss. Mm -hmm. And she was performing in my hometown, Tottenham, opposite from where I grew up, literally mm. opposite. And I was like, do you know what? Beyonce can't come to the ends and man not be there to turn up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so about five days beforehand, I said, do you know what? Let me get a ticket. So I bought off Ticketmaster. I didn't have anyone to really go with. The man them are not really Beyonce fans like that. My other half was on holiday. Um, so I was like, you know what? Let me just see if I can get a ticket. Sat by myself. Vibes. Yeah. You see, I should have done that every single day she was here. I was on Via Go Go. I was like, I'm going to pay off over the odds, but I stopped myself from doing it. And that's, that's it the regret also, I've got to live with now. It was also like the visuals. It yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. the dancers. Oh my it's God. It's theater, like, isn't it? Like, it was real theater, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was like theater, yeah. And you know, and like you know what production. else I want to add? That was a few weeks beforehand, Tina Turner died. Mm. And yeah. Tina Turner for me was like the greatest living performer, mm -hmm. you know, at that moment in time. Beyonce, you wouldn't even have Beyonce about Tina Turner. Yeah. And I was like, imagine turning down the opportunity to see Tina Turner in her prime. Yeah. When she came to your hometown, mm -hmm. I said, no, there's no way that's gonna happen now that Beyonce has taken up that mantle. So I don't think that, I think that the hypnotism's gotta die. Yeah, it has done. Listen, I'm the one paying for it now. Good. I'm still watching. <laughs> I've been on your Instagram like 10 times this last I'll week. I'll send you all the videos. Man, that's just, that's like, yeah, barely uh, yeah. even touches. I don't know what the other shows were like, like she's done in the past, but I think further to that, like the fee, like this being for like queer culture, if if you've been to like, um, NYC download on at Glastonbury on the first night when Foster's open. Like that's very much of like that's people get dressed up. It's very much the, the culture as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think as much as it is for social media, when you'd like see stuff like Club of a Boat and stuff, that's that's adjacent to to that kind of music as well. It was very draggy. Like it was very, and I think drag culture has become obviously with things like RuPaul's Drag Race and similar like pose. that and Pose. Yeah, big up to Pose. But um, it, yeah, it felt like a big like drag event mm. almost. So I don't think it just has to do with the social media. I do think it is like no, the no, culture no, not surrounding not this particular album. Mm. 
Which is why I was also saying in the group for the people that aren't privy to the group chat that I think that this album is going to go down as as a bit of a mad album. Like genuinely in the, what did we say? What, what did we did say? You said I, I said, and I'll stand by this, of the century so far, I think it's one of the best albums. Best what, 10, 15, 20, 30? Well, best albums of the century. We've had 23 years, whatever it is, that's it's one of the best ones. It's and anything that you great. come with, I'll say it could probably stand toe to toe with most. FOMO is whooping you right now. Overcompensating now, yeah? Yeah, yeah. maybe. But yeah, it's, I think certainly for me, it's her best album since um, since her opening album. And I like that she opened her, her program, her show with, you know, that album. So I was like, you know what? <laughs> For me, <laughs> but, but for me, this is one of my you know top two Beyonce albums. So mm. I, was, I was really glad to be there. But what I was surprised about, or what I, what I forgot, is that Beyonce's got a lot of bop bops. Like the mm. discography is mad. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, the, the little like so in between the changes, she had like little sort of just catalog medleys and in the interludes. And I was like, I'm gonna go to the toilet every single time. I was like, oh, I just get like halfway to the stairs. I, like, I can't go anywhere. Like when you go on Animax playing, and everyone yeah, is a banger. Exactly, banger, banger. Yeah. But yeah, she just the bag is the bag is deep. Mm. The bag is, and I don't. The worst thing is for you. I don't think I got the feeling she's not gonna do that again. That's exactly why I also had to go too. No, she's not. Well, I, and I also, I doubt, the biggest thing for me is, just speaking from a selfish standpoint, I don't think she's going to do an out, make an album that I'm going to feel as much as that because I'm going to get older, I'm going to connect with different things. So I think that was the moment and I missed it. it and what, and what, it do you, what do you think about up. Dangerously In Love? Where, where'd you rate that album? It's got a few of my favourite Beyonce tracks on there for sure. What is uh, Me, Myself and I's on there, right? Big song. Baby Boy. But yeah, that's definitely up there for me. The other one for me is... I just love B-Day because of all the Pharrell on it. Just Neptune's all over it. And four as well, man. She's just, I fucked up. <laughs> so I didn't, I was never planning to go. <laughs> uh, You've been sitting there patiently ready to start no, firing no, shots. So, um, and Dom, you, I'll find it for you and we can put it up. We had a conversation during the World Cup where I was like, I, I tuned out of the World Cup. I couldn't get into it because I couldn't in good conscience watch something that a lot of my friends could not go to. And a lot of my friends who are big football fans had to go, I can't go there because um, I'm queer and it's gonna cost me. Where did Beyonce open this tour? Tottenham. No, 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 no. What country did she open it? Oh, right, Sweden. okay. No, no, no. Not the tour, you know what the he's talking tour about. The tour was Sweden. You know exactly what he's talking about. Um, Effer. <laughs> no, no, so in all seriousness. Well, she, she didn't actually open it there. She just gave a little flavor. Oh, so that, that makes it okay then. Is that <laughs> <laughs> Preview. Album. No, 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 so let's, let's so but, the thing is, is, Dom put in the group chat. One thing about me is I will die on my heels. I will absolutely die on my heels. Like, you certainly and, will. And, and I think the thing for me is that, like I was talking to a friend of mine today who is queer and they made, this, and I said, oh, they asked what we're talking about. And I said, oh, Beyonce and um, the whole tour and was asked what my angle was. And I said, well, I, I don't, I find it a bit weird that people were, that were like boycott the World Cup, boycott, boycott football because it's happening in Qatar. Those same people, and I'm not kind of, given any kind of side eye to anybody here. Name names. Uh, <laughs> uh, are also saying, yeah, no, but it's fine because Beyonce ain't about that. And the, and the reason it is, is, is that this album centers queerness. Mm -hmm. and, and she talks about the role that queer family have had in the making of this album. So then going to Saudi Arabia for me was a little bit 
was a little bit mad. It was a lot mad, in fact. And I think it's a great album. I think it's the second best album any Knowles has ever done. Um, and that is high praise. <laughs> Why are you putting black women against I'm each not, other again? I'm you not, are doing I'm it. You're not, doing it in that one comment. You just did that. I'm not doing that. I am saying that I think that it sits it sits alongside Seat at the Table, which for me, and you guys know how I feel about Seat at the Table. I think it's one of the greatest albums. I'm still ever. so upset that she cancelled um, that show in London. Yeah. Mm. But, but for me, it's like, if we're about it, let's be about it. Because the thing is, is like we, there's no simple way to kind of make this, if it was a race thing, then we w we would feel differently because like th there isn't but I, d I don't know how i can how i could go to that show knowing that it started in saudi arabia i'm gonna pull up the receipts right that that conversation we had yeah you two were both on at me about my stance so, in the so world hold on Cup. hold on Don, um because i've got i got a lot of wine to the two people in the group that have never changed their opinions on this <laughs> There's one for you. So okay, so we're 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 celebrating stagnation now. We can't celebrate growth. We, go. we can't <laughs> celebrate a change of mind. Uh -uh, absolutely Are we supposed not. to evolve? There you go. We're opposite sides of the divide, but, but it's, here, like, but, it's but, like the but blue and red coming together. Hold on. What's the change? What is <laughs> hold the, the bandana? <laughs> <up>. <laughs> but, but, uh, what's the change in the argument? Just really quick, because I think for me. I was like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna support the Qatar thing because I was like, it's people spending their own money to go over there or spending their money through like watching the broadcasting and supporting something that was like built by slave labor and in addition but nobody to like was, Nobody was supporting, no one was supporting Qatar though, were there? People no. were going over there to support their country. Yeah. This is but what was the what I can't actually remember with Beyonce playing the show in Saudi Arabia. What was the actual conditions of that? Was it just that she, she was paid by? Well, so who this is the difficult right? because we end up you end up like we end up contorting ourselves to turn a blind eye to you know this this incident of of, of just sort of naked greed and capitalism because it's someone we like. And no, but like, we criticized it then. I think we all at the time criticized yeah. it. Yeah, and I still criticize it. It's, but what am I gonna it, do? Like, not. It, I don't think for me, I'm not. Even though I'm maybe on the queer spectrum, I would not say I have a very strong queer identity. So I don't really think it's for me to make that call because it's highly personal anyway. But I would not look at that one choice that she made as then like erasing everything. Like in a cost-benefit analysis, I think that the benefit of what Beyonce I provides mean, is stronger than I guess, that yeah. state. I guess there's two. I guess there's different ways to look at it. You could say Beyonce sold out, or you could say Beyonce took a queer album, which is unapologetically queer, to a country where homosexuality is illegal, and she put it on a platform. So that's another way to look at it potentially. And, and Jay Z saying that we've moved past race really helped race in the NFL. Well, well, I mean, the politics of Beyonce and Jay Z is a completely it's a different topic. It's a complete vacuum that fans and stands project all kinds of things onto. But if you look at it, it's not entirely progressive. I think with the album itself, obviously, it draws from queer culture. Um, it puts it center. It's a big part of the performance, and fundamentally. From what I've seen in my in my community, the the queer people have embraced it here, mm -hmm. and all the people I knew who were championing it were all, you know, gay men, gay women. So I didn't see nobody was asking me for allyship 
to boycott it or to not be involved in it. If anything, they were endorsing it and saying, go and watch this show. Mm -hmm. So I think that there was a slight differentiation there with um, Qatar where there was a kind of split where some people were saying, be a part of that campaign to boycott it. And some people were like, well, do what you want to do. But there was a clear campaign where there was people saying boycott this thing. With yeah. Beyonce, I didn't see that from uh, black queer communities at all. Um, and also Beyonce is a gay icon <laughs> and football is not traditionally like held, upheld as this like gay yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. entity. So for this thing to be occurring, I think in like a hetero space, for like usually for hetero people going to this place, it was like kind of but easier yeah. to make a decision there than. But no, but I think I think it's an interesting question. Beyonce doesn't do interviews, but it would be a great question to ask her mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. that paradox. But there are so much so much paradoxes with the with the Carters, it's actually insane. So, but do I think do I think that that should be a reason not to go to the concert? From where I was seated, no. I don't think so. And, and but obviously, everyone's got their own politics. You know what I'm and, saying? And, this, and, that, and that's the key bit. I, I'm not sitting here saying shame on anybody for going to see it. I'm no key, though, a little bit, a little bit. No, no, no. <laughs> you, bought, you bought wine and everything. No, you were just <laughs> you toasted to it. Toasted I our I toasted, demise. I toasted to, to kind of us not being for turning. But what? But for me, it's about per, it's about personal decisions. Like, um, you know, in an ideal world, everybody would be down for every cause, but then we wouldn't even need to have causes. But what it fundamentally boils down to, and I think the Carters sit at the cultural epicenter of this because people project onto them, is that capitalism and activism can't live together. And and so if, if she'd just produced, put it this way, if she'd have put, took lemonade to Saudi Arabia, it wouldn't even have come into my mind. If she'd have taken Dangerously in Love to Saudi Arabia, it wouldn't even come into my mind. But the first I heard about this album, before I heard the album, was her talking about the album and how she had centered queerness and the role that was it her uncle yeah. had played mm -hmm. um, in the creation of that album. And then the next thing I heard is, and I'm going to Saudi Arabia. But I would, I really, the point that you brought up, which I hadn't thought of before, which is like taking this thing that is like very queer to a space that doesn't allow that space is interesting because if you talk about Lemonade, which is a very black album, like that was the first album where I actually started to stand Beyonce a little bit because it was very much like she had kind of dropped even more so her like sort of generic pop persona to be that like, I'm from the formation. Formation's just, a song just yeah, yeah, yeah. on, just on just Lemonade. Yeah. But it was very like, that felt like m the most real I'd ever seen Beyonce, but like she did that at a time when there was like a huge upswing of visible police brutality in the States. So she didn't even have to take that album somewhere where it would have made a sort of statement because it was happening in America. Uh, I think, I think you both being very generous after the fact with with her rationale of, for why she did why she took loads of money to play it private free. i don't think she did it because well there reasons. wasn't <laughs> yeah i don't think it, it was taking a bit of a piece of art i'm not i'm not even sure without looking that she played any of the music i think i'm pretty oh. sure she just it was it's someone's private thing she's gonna just pay greatest hits let's, let's be serious if i'm paying you 50 yeah. mil you're paying the greatest hits she wasn't you know but, but i thought the suggestion i thought that 
the, the premise was that she took the album the, there. The premise was that yeah, that's where she started the tour. The, the the it was, and I think Angela was. I'm not sure if that's the premise you're making, but I I believe she announced the album, and at the same time she announced the album, she'd made this album which was for this community. She then at the same time, the next thing she did was go to Saudi Arabia and play a gig. But Angelo said that if he if she took Lemonade there, it wouldn't be an issue. But if you're saying that if you're saying that she didn't take the album there. And Angelo could have gone and shaken his nyash, you know, and Tottenham, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It could, so, it, it's, well, you'll have to talk to him about that. But I, I'm not, I'm, my point being, it, I don't think it was this great, like, defiant act of, I'm going to go and play this album here. It, it, I think it's just as simple as, yeah, this I mean, isn't necessarily my bad. I'd, 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 I've done my bit. And that's, and that's, and that's okay for her to say that. Yeah. But it's also okay for her to say, shouldn't have done that. But I'll see you next tour. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So it looks like just really quickly, it just looks like um for the unofficial opening of a hotel, they it, it was a private event where they had paid her to go and open to play a show there. Do you not think there was a difference between playing at a private event in a country that has problematic kind of laws and maybe playing for you know, and this the, the, the royals and Dubai. the people that lead the the stage. You know, I think that there's a differentiation. So, great question. I think that the the issue the issue, as I said, was specifically around um, announcing an album that you say centres a queer community, and then going to a place where that same community can't go to hear it. The fact of the matter is, is in our daily lives, we're going to be hypocrites. Look, I I, mm-hmm. I had to take I had to take vehicles to get here that are spouting co2 so does it really matter that i'm a vegan you know i i get that we all have to make decisions that are the least worst like there are certain acting jobs or writing jobs that i will take on where i go i do not i fundamentally do not believe in this project but i do believe that there's going to be a knock at my door if i don't knock my bills out mm. um but I think that once you get to a place of comfort, surely the whole goal of getting to a place where you are financially comfortable is that you don't have to question or make make those sorts of moral decisions. You can go like, I can do what I want. I can I can be super clean. I can do whatever I want if I want to. Um, Maybe, but then that's getting into the like fundamentals of who a person is, where they grew up, what sort of narratives they hold like in their own mind. It's and as well, really we, tricky we to get. We don't know Beyonce. But yeah. yeah, we don't know, we don't know. Uh, yeah, but, we don't. But, but I mean, it's like, I don't know if the moral dilemma is as clear cut as that. If it was a private event in a country problematic rules, it's like, you know, do we boycott Beyonce if she goes to Nigeria? Do you know if she goes- Or the UK if she, if or go, America, if she goes to Uganda, do you know what I mean? It, 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 it becomes an issue. The album is a, is, is a queer album and if those places if those places are problematic, she's taking the album there. There is value in that. And unless she is breaking what I would say is a picket line, if queer people in those countries are saying, do not come here because we've got a campaign. Like for example, the campaign against apartheid and you know, people said, do not come to South Africa mm. in solidarity. And if you breach that, then you're breaching a picket. Without that, I would say that the, the lines of the moral dilemma for, the, for her, for me, that are not clear cut enough. I would say I would say it's, a, it's slightly unfair, but there are other things that we can critique the Carters for. I mean, you know, Rock Nation and the NFL post Kaepernick mm-hmm. is probably the greatest one. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the greatest example of selling out. Um, that's very clear. Beyonce's album, I think, is 
it's slightly harder. I'll, I'll finish by saying this is that, and, I've, and if, I've not, if I've not made it clear, I'll make it clear now. It's not about Beyonce, it's about me. Because Beyonce is who she is, she's gonna do what she does. And I have no issue with that. The only fight for me that's worth fighting is the one where I can look at myself in the mirror in the morning and be relatively okay with what I see there. And so it's a decision made for me. Mm -hmm. Like I can, I can, I can kid Alana, and but at the end of the day, I don't care what Alana goes to goes to do. Really, it's it, I can only I can only control how I respond to it. And so when I heard that she was dropping this album, I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to the Middle East, a place that is like directly against uh, that that queer community. It for me kind of. I went, well, for me to be comfortable, for me to be able to look, I have to be able to look my friends in the eye and whether they like it or not, my, my line is that I'm not gonna go and watch it. But that doesn't mean that anybody, it's not a right and wrong thing. And I think we've got to get out of that thing that not everything is right and wrong, not everything is binary. But for me, uh, like when she kind of made her decision, I made my decision and I'm comfortable with that. And, and I don't want people to feel uncomfortable with their decisions either. Yeah, it's your own personal moral litmus test. It's important that you are not misunderstood. <laughs> oh my God. Like I said, he's cozy. I've seen it written down on his screen for the last 10 minutes. But how's he going to weave this one in? We're going to move on to Mizzy. We're going to move on to Mizzy. Um, clout rage. And the media. Our response to the media. And what to me just it feels like this this it's the same like cycle and the needles are skips on this conversation over and over one of the reasons we reached out to a real specialist in the area our guy simian brown you got vexed in the group chat about this didn't you as well <laughs> i was mad because i was I had to straighten I, him out man <laughs> i was ready to let it just keep just go over my head and i, I was looking on my timeline i was thought so much energy is just being wasted on this conversation by people like just intelligent people. I thought we, we, could, we, could, we could all be doing something better. And I was just getting madder and madder and madder and it just snapped, <laughs> came out one day. Um, so Simeon, uh, for those of you that don't know, and if you listen to this podcast and you definitely do know, you better have a coffee, wrote this incredible book, Get Rich or Lie Trying. And I was talking to Simeon earlier today and I was like, Mizzy reminds me, and I don't, I can't remember the name of the guy, but- Is it EBZ? Yeah, mm -hmm. so tell, tell the story of this guy because I feel that people listening will get the link immediately. All right, okay. So I wrote Get Rich or Lie Trying, um, Ambition and Deceit in the New Influencer Economy, available in all good bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so good. I, I wrote it and I was really interested in basically the pursuit of clout as the pursuit of you know the middle class dream of, of affluence, of, of success, and how the internet is basically stepped in to fill that promise to millennials that you know if you work hard you can have it all but within that how it was paved with scams and dishonesty and how it also incentivizes extreme behavior aka what we're seeing with the aspiring or the real influencer mizzy who does extreme things for attention you know we've seen him steal dogs on camera post that walk into people's houses film that and really kind of provoke I guess the British public, although he is fulfilling, he's fulfilling two roles which are quite familiar. One, this whole stunt jackass culture, mm -hmm. which has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. But also there has always in Britain been a public delinquent who the tabloids flog. Mm -hmm. And this is a historic character. 
goes back a long time. Um, Fulfilling that role, but in this economy, he's incentivized to become a delinquent from the attention. In my book, I looked at effectively people who are, are from those cultures. So I went to California, which is really the kind of spiritual home of the attention economy. Um, this is the place that everybody effectively is copying because of these, you know, West Coast tech bros creating these platforms to ultimately globalize that culture um, and globalize that dream. And I met a black man who was a migrant who was living in America. He had had a very difficult time. He was down and out. He was effectively you know, points in his life, homeless, living on Skid Row. He then became an Uber driver. He was, you know, almost near 40. And then a big time influencer who made his name basically doing pranks and being an IRL streamer gets in his Uber and is live streaming and turns this guy into a character. I won't do the full revelation, but ultimately that entire world that they live in, they earn their money by effectively passing the control pad of their lives over to their streamers over to their viewers who are watching their streams and them saying, you know, what should I do? What, what crazy things should I do today? Sometimes their audience will call the police and say, yo, there's a guy with a gun. He's in this place. And then you know, right. the police turn up and they swat it and it's mm-hmm. happening on a live stream and everyone enjoys it. So they tip loads of money. And it was about how that economy basically rewards very extreme behavior. And so Mizzy is a, perf- it's a prime example of somebody who's following that road. Um, but there are other interesting cultural elements to him, as, as, as I mentioned. And then there's also what he reveals about, you know, legacy media and how they fundamentally or we fundamentally are also a part of the same ecosystem. And we always were now, but actually the two worlds are converging in a way that means that Mizzy is on Newsnight mm. and yeah. Newsnight <laughs> ultimately in some ways get more engagement on that than they have in a long time. Yeah. Well, and that, above all else, when I sat back and thought about it, I was like, I am thankful for that, that, that he did that, because I think that to me is the, the final sort of nail in the coffin of that show in its current guise as a serious news enterprise. Just the way he behaved on it and the, the way he spoke to it, like, as he was saying, like, himself and Andrew Tate there is it is in their very nature it is in their business plan to to behave and chase clout for for clicks because that's how they profit like what what is Newsnight's excuse I I don't think that Newsnight is wrong to engage with Mizzy as a phenomenon because it's super interesting it tells us a lot about this moment in time but it's different to inviting him on as a neutral pundit um and also it's about recognizing that he's professional troll so he's not going to engage in the conversation the level of good faith that you need for that kind of discussion mm. so but but i don't i don't think that news program shouldn't engage with the mischievous and the slightly problematic just about the terms i would say i would say that uh a better example probably talk tv that invited him on mm. for a clout moment mm. and so that that man what's his name andrew something could effectively you know perform yes. clout rage you know, make a gesture mm-hmm. that he is uncomfortable and he's representing that Mondeo man's perspective. <laughs> and that was very clearly well, generated to, to, to do basically the same thing that Mizzy does. Yeah. Newsnight, I think it was, it, it was the, probably the wrong way into the conversation, I would say. This is, yeah, and it's the framing of it, right? Like yeah. Their whole thing is 
they have to have this sort of usually they'll both sides it and have this sort of adversarial style or they'll get someone on when they need to be publicly shamed as you said i, I it took me back to dapper laughs mm. and he came on in his, in his, his roll neck and they were like you you've, you've glorifying rape culture and he didn't lean into it he was apologetic and he sat and took his beating and it, and that was that he was he was gone from the public eye for for a long time whereas in this case mizzy was is, is well aware of, ex of exactly what was happening fully in control of that situation and it's it's almost like I look at the whole situation as a tale of two grifts because the, the news channels are trying to get those clicks and trying to get those eyes and they, they're playing their, their role. And he understands exactly what he's getting out of it too. So it's it's kind of win-win. The people that lose, uh, I guess. This is what I would say in, in defense of news and current affairs is that the point of news and current affairs is to cover things that are in the public interest but also to recognize what the public are interested in. And like I said, the public delinquent is a character that we have been enthralled with, that's been a center of tabloids and, and public conversation for a long time. And so he becomes the latest version or reincarnation of that. So I don't even think that media can ignore Mizzy, I but it's just about the way that we explain him and make sense of him and that will probably involve interviewing him, but he has to be treated in a certain way. Um, and I think I think that is where that element then became quite wild. But then what I will say though, is that it, I was quite conflicted because it was so funny. I had to keep pausing <laughs> it and laughing out loud. But at the same time, you would, you would feel that actually what the public needed to know really and truly was that this is an economy that people are benefiting from. This is a, a young man who's 18, he's a father. Um, he's, you know, he's somebody who's been convicted um, or he's was on tag, he's been, to, he's been to, 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 to prison. There are very real challenges and barriers in his life and he sees the attention economy as the way to make a living for himself and make a name for himself and then get some of those, uh, you know, get some of the, uh, uh, what's the worst? Get some of the trappings of what we all want from our, from, from our lives, you know, to re to realize the good life. Yeah, and I think I think that that is where you can lean into more of the truth about his circumstances and why he thinks that this is the road for him. That 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 becomes more kind of there's, re there's revelation to it as opposed to just heat. Yeah, I I I get what you're saying, saying they can't ignore it. It didn't. It literally did not blow up until people got him on the news channel so i think when you're using online attention as a metric to convert that into we've got to get him on tv you're, you're always going to be able to find a metric which says you need to tell that story and as you say they're not going to tell the, the story that you just they're, they're not going to go after the angle you just said because it's it's a longer more complex thing and you've got to talk about I, systemic i issues don't think it's that they that they that they're not i i, I don't think that they're not i just think that they they just didn't. They 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 just didn't. They, they and and uh, I I think I think they just they just didn't. But um, also I think that there are different news outlets who see him in different ways. Like I said, Talk TV, their mo is very clear. Piers Morgan wants you to come on the program, and he wants it to be a, a viral moment, and he's going to be super tabloid, 
and that is just the aesthetic. It's not really about trying to really get truth, trying to get heat and to turn it into a moment. I, I would like to think that Newsnight has a different MO, and I think it does. And I know some of the people who are actually behind producing that segment. And so, I saw, I saw you kind of twitch there for a second. No, I guess, no. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so, so I, I, I think that there's like different MO, but it just didn't quite work out that way. Um, and I think that there maybe there is, there is a difficulty now in how we actually cover some of these figures who their whole MO is being extreme, whether that's Andrew Tate, whether that's Mizzy, um, and ultimately not trying to play into their game and offering value to audiences. Mm. I, I think I'll, I'll hand over to you, but I, I do, I don't want to like bash the the sort of their approach to news completely. Like they've shown with that uh, Ros Atkins guy and, and that reality check, like they've shown they can ha take a format and adapt it and package quite, you know, information dense topics. Um, into like a little segment and make it digestible in recent times. And they've done that, like so Rod Atkins, he always does those roundups and those summaries. And that's quite a, you know, it's a, it's a newish thing and they've done it really well. So I just think they really need to look at it because it's, Newsnight is just not the forum for, to be to be taking on some of these these kinds of conversations, I just don't think. But, it should, but in theory it should be, it, it should be. It should. But again, you said that it takes um, all parties acting in good faith. What stood out in that in, interview was not for me it wasn't Miz, it was the woman on the other side that that was a woman who knew her stuff who kind of i thought spoke brilliantly really well. in, in a place where she could have absolutely lost her composure um i think the problem is is that what we try and do on this pod is we try and walk and chew gum we can hold very disparate points of view the media as it currently is constructed cannot because they have to play the same algorithm game because attention time drives Ads, uh, not for the BBC necessarily, but otherwise attention time drives clicks uh, uh, and that drives profits. So you have to find the things that are popping. The problem is, is that if the, if, if the media was playing the same zero sum game that Mizzy was, they would be able to respond to him in a way that didn't make him seem attractive. Because actually Mizzy's whole thing, getting onto Newsnight, getting onto sitting next to Piers Morgan, that's the win. But actually the second you kind of they need him on there as well. That's why it's that symbiotic relationship. That's why you called it the double griff. They need him because they, that's, that's gonna be the biggest thing on BBC. It's gonna be Piers Morgan's biggest viewed thing. You even knew the first name of the guy on talk TV, which is more than anybody did before that segment. So they need him as well. And if they were honest with themselves, if, if, if all of those places were honest with themselves, they would say the reason that they brought him on, like obviously, um, Newsnight wrapped it in the fig leaf of we want this guy on to talk about Andrew Tate because his brother had spoken to him. But actually the truth is, is that they're not, and, and, and then they and they can go, but, but also we have this woman who's, um, you know, really knowledgeable about like toxic masculinity and its relationship with online. But actually if the media needs him, there, there's always a villain that's needed. And 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 once he's once he's burned up, there'll be a I next mean, one. It's, it's I would say it's more complex than that because I wouldn't say that Newsnight's core demographic really care about Mizzy like that. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say that Newsnight's core demographic of politicos and things of that nature are thinking, yo, I'm gonna watch if Mizzy's on. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. I, I get the sense, if, if anything, it's more about a 
pursuit of of relevance and being able to say we understand what's going on in this country and we're going to explain it but the issue was that with that they were unable to really explain the phenomenon and what was going on and it was probably the wrong way into Andrew Andrew Tate although there was a connection there um, Laura Bates, obviously, this is what she does. She's you know, a best-selling author. She, she, she writes about these things. It was an interesting <laughs> mismatch. And, and you can see in her eyes, like, she was thinking, what the <laughs> hell am I doing? She was, she was basically smiling furiously, like, she, <laughs> you can see she was shocked. She didn't know what to do. And I remember there was one, one moment where Mizzy's like, I shouldn't even be here. She was like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, I, I, I get that fundamentally the attention economy media is in that as well the news the newspapers the broadcasters everybody is trying to pursue you know digital relevance you know relevance in 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 the in a realm where there's just infinite you know content so 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 so, so there is that but actually the mizzy that mizzy event although it brought a different audience to newsnight socials i would say it probably did some Reputational damage to its core audience, mm. yeah. um, to it to its core to its core audience. So it's not as binary as yo they 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 need him, but they were trying to they were trying to show that they had a reach beyond just you know SW one in terms mm. of understanding the world and what's and what's happening. It's the first time I've seen Kirsty walk. Under pressure like that. Nah, nah. They did. They did Kirsty dirty. To be honest with you, listen. listen. <laughs> She's been in journalism how long, yeah? yeah? And then my man's like, "You man, you man, it's you man's issue." Yeah, <laughs> nah, nah, not Kirsty. Is that your words? Mine no. now. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> nah, nah. Poor. Now nah, you know what? So fast. Big up Kirsty, yeah, man. She didn't. She didn't need all that, man. Listen, she was just trying to do, do her thing and then go home. You know what I'm saying, man? She's out here interviewing big, big people, yeah. Then she got Mizzy on there doing doing, doing this nonsense. <laughs> do we? But do we think there's any real consequence of this, I don't know, like circus kind of, because- I, Consequence I, to who? To, of, to anyone, to anything. I mean, so uh, maybe to Mizzy and, but I don't know. I'm kind of like, what was the, what was the point of all this, except for like a quick moment, like what? you're saying, like just to have a little moment that kind of stimulated I, media, I guess. I worry because with like the the sort of Andrew Tate link when when they when people when they set off on a path of realizing what saying those kinds of things gets them yeah right about in your book how are you ever gonna go back to like well that well, yeah but that but that but that that that's the economy and the thing is extreme what. I interviewed a guy who made some of the most viral videos on the internet. And he did, um, I think 50 hours, 24 hours in New York as a woman um, walking down the road. I'm not sure if you've probably seen the video of a woman mm -hmm. walking down the road and he's getting catcalled. He's done some of the most viral things. And he said, look, fundamentally, you have to make people feel something. So they have to, they have to hate it, or they have to love it, or they have to be feel, feel angry. And if you, can, if you can get that emotional response, then you've got their attention and, and, and that's how it works. And all over the internet, that is what people are doing. And they're appealing to the worst biases of their tribe. It could be Arsenal fans. It could be a Spurs fan. It could be a Beyonce stan. It could be even people that you agree with. It could be somebody who's on the left. And ultimately, they are recognizing who, they're, who their base is. And they're just saying, okay, this is what is going to get them riled up. In some cases, 
they don't even see it as a, they're not even that conscious with it. They're just like, I'm gonna say what, I'm, I'm gonna say this, it's gonna pop off. And so I think that that is what has led to public discourse becoming increasingly more polarized, that incentive structure. And I don't think that we can disentangle that, to be honest with you. I just, there, there is no solution to this. Well, that's kind of what I was yeah. like, is there a solution? Because to me, it just feels like, you know, shock value, which has always been, which has always, it's been around since before the internet, you know, like yeah, you're saying, yeah, like yeah. this is just something that it, it elicits that emotional response and that attention. And then that's what gets, I guess, the dollars. I don't know how much Mizzy actually makes or what he's, if this is actually a lucrative I thing I, for I can, him. I can tell you what he'll be doing now. Um, he will be going round. He will be showing the number of impressions that mm -hmm. he has made, the number of likes, the number of follows. He will also, if he, and he is clearly relatively intelligent, he will show, he will build up a profile of the people that are following him and showing that that is a, a, a profile of the people that will buy if he is the pitch man for it. Mm. Um, he even pointed out himself, he said, I'm not doing pranks anymore. He said, I've, I've got what I needed from it. But actually, I, I, I joked before, I said he, he's going to be marketing JD in two years. I mean, I mean. I, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not, I'm not entirely certain about that. I think that within that, the, the, that game is extremely, it's very fast and loose. And I interview people in my book who had done similar things to Mizzy. In some cases, they were able to really, you know, build up a core diehard audience of fans and they can monetize that in tips, in merchandise, in crypto recommendations, in all manner of affiliate marketing schemes. And there were some people who were unable to do it at that scale. And fundamentally, they were people who would become fundamentally unattractive to brands. So Andrew Tate is not getting a JD. Spiffed. That's what I mean. Who's going to sponsor these people? Well, well, the thing is that there are other ways to monetize yeah. the, the following. You know, yeah. it's merch. It's 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 affiliate marketing. It's all these things. It's, if anything, Mizzy's more likely to pivot in a few years' time as an AI specialist or crypto specialist or Twitch streamer. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he could be a Twitch streamer, but he within that he'll have a particular MO. You know, I, I'm doing forex today or whatever Bitcoin. So if anything, he's more likely to pivot in that in that direction mm. and 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 go down the marketing affiliate route. But I I don't think that he's going to be getting any big uh, brand deals unless unless there is I don't know unless he's going to have his reform album. What's that? He'll have his reform album. It like you know he'll have his kind of putting on the suit. Da da da. I mean, he's, I mean, he's tr I mean, he's tried that, but he can't he can't keep the character. <laughs> he's like, so I mean, he tried that whole I'm sorry, but not sorry kind of thing. So <laughs> I don't think that he he can keep that MO. If, if anything, it's, it's about the core audience. But I think he'll, he may struggle to retain that. Um, and certainly that's something that I had seen. Some people are just so, more, so, are so intentional when they can do it. Others really fall off. And I remember I interviewed one girl in my book who was quite of extreme. And I think she's the one who had sex with a robot. And she was adamant that she was gonna be the new Paris Hilton and da 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 But actually today, Three years on from interviewing her, her her followers following hasn't go up, gone up. She's never had a hit video since, and that internet sex, success that she's chasing, she has never achieved. Um, and there are lots of people like that because of the way, because of how you know fleeting attention can be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and he's a public delinquent now, number one. But two years time, I mean, let let's see. It's actually a, a very good segue into 
a little talk about the cost of living. Um, and more generally, employment mm-hmm. and that whole situation. So we have, Angelo, you are currently figuring out what's yeah next. Looking for um, to move down to London. Um, I've served my attempted murder a number of years um, up north. How long you been there? Uh, 7, 18, 18, 19 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, like I could have committed attempted murder and been out. Well, and I mean, and I, reformed. Like, you couldn't have. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, so I'm moving down and, um, and what has really struck me is h- how difficult it is. Um, so, and, and, I, and I don't say this to brag, I say this as, as objective statements of fact. I've got 10 years of experience in uh, educational fields. Um, I've got five years, or three years, sorry, of experience in kind of creative fields. I've got two degrees. It should be, with, with my CV, relatively easy. Just go, boom, get a job, be able to find a place that I can rent mm-hmm. and live. And what has been very wild to me is how is the starting salaries of lots of jobs and I was like maybe it's just me maybe maybe my CV ain't that strong and then I started doing some research and um it's when you realize that um different a number of different researchers say that millennials are the generation most affected by the cost of living because we are the generation that started work during the economic downturn we had a decade of frozen wages um a pound now is not what a pound was in 2008 um so i was thinking also that all all of i think every single one of my friends who is a millennial who has who who has a place who owns a place um owns it through help of family um there's none of them oh shout out my little brother because he's always going to be a trendsetter. He, he, he made it off of his own back. And I said, oh, is that because I, I thought it was kind of perfect confluence of events. Lockdown happened. He moved back home, kind of splitting the rent. But he was like, no, I had the pee before. And then I forget that my brother was a professional sportsman. Although, so. although, although the thing is, people never count moving back home as help, but moving back home and paying subsidised rent if any rent is actually help. Yeah, yeah no, oh, but he yeah. had it before though, because he was a professional sportsman. And my brother is also, and I say this, LeBron James is the same. My brother is cheap. Like he, but because he wanted to, he wants to be able to buy his house. So I started, I started looking into it. Um, the uh, the inflation, current inflation rate compared to last year is now 10.7%. Um, if, if that number holds 100 pounds today will be equivalent in buying power to 110 pounds 70 next year but that's going that's happening year on year on year on year on year and it made me i actually started thinking about how do people who don't earn high five figures six figures exist in london how do you how do you exist on 25000 pounds 20000 because these this is what jobs i get i get kind of um job listings sent to my email. These are the kind of jobs you should go for. And I look at them and I go, I genuinely don't know how you can live. And, and people ask so I, how you can live on 25,000 pounds. And it makes me understand why somebody like Mizzy, who is a parent and is 18 and probably goes, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I'll run into somebody's house if that gets me kind of 100,000 followers who will donate a pound every two weeks. 
I, or like I OnlyFans. Like there's a reason why it's like a joke, but not a joke. Like you have people who are, again, same with like, they leave schooling or a certain level of experience being like, this is what society has promised to me, what I should have, the jobs that should be available and what I should be able to afford. And it's like, what I, in actuality, it's a fraction of what you actually can afford. Um, and then so you have people in these positions who are like, let me sell my body or go punch someone in the face because that's what it takes to exist here. And when I was reading your book, Simeon, the thing that really kind of stuck out to me was these are resourceful people. These aren't people that are just sitting down, w yeah. like waiting for life to happen. These are people that are, like, how many, so many of them have tried like 17 different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, surely it shouldn't be that difficult for somebody that's got that much get up and go to find something that kind of pays the bills. And, 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 I, and I'm, I kind of, look, I ain't, I, unless they start an only busted feet, like I'm not selling, I'm not, I'm not selling, I'm not selling pictures of my feet on the internet. Do you know that what I'm exists. Um, sure. Can you imagine? I'm sure you got some fans, you know what I mean, who enjoy, enjoy the <laughs> like, show. Like cornrows. We'll buy a little something from you. Please explain this to my fiance. It's basketball players, right? It's not just me. Yeah, uh, basketball players got the worst feet. Yes. They're, 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 they're hella busted. But I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here looking at these jobs and I go, I really want to move because like where I live is, is turning into a ghost town. All, all of the independent coffee shops, stores are shutting down. There are whole streets now where there's more empty uh, storefronts than occupied ones. Um, and when I worked in education up there, I would say literally four students in five leave the area. Uh, in fact, it's probably higher than that. They, they moved to London, uh, Leeds, Manchester, Newcastle. Um, but how is, it, how is it possible that jobs that, because I, I had a look at some jobs, I had a look at some jobs in construction, in teaching, and in some of the creative fields like copywriting, are only offering about 3% more than they were in 2010. Because rent's gone up. I walked through, I stayed at, I stayed at um, Dan's last week. Dan, I'm not gonna say where he lives, but it's close to where uh, my family used to live. We used to live on the Brigstock Estate. And for those of you that know kind of Southwest London or Southeast London, you know the Brigstock Estate goes right onto Cold Harbor Lane. Cold Harbor Lane used to be a very different experience to what it is now. And I was like, there's no way it's still gonna be there. Cause as I was walking from, from Dan's, cause I was making my way, to, I was going to a, a festival in Brixton. Um, I was like, there's no way this is staked. Cause I was seeing all these new build estates and I'm there the whole time on like Zoopla and Rightmove being like, raw, two and a half thousand pounds. That's crazy. Wow, 3,000 pounds, that's mad. And I get there and it's still there and it still looked busted down. So I was like, let me just see if it, uh, look, it was like, well, it's what it is. Let me just see if I can find a place on the Brigstock Estate. And there was one place there, it, it hadn't been done up. It was 1,900 pounds a month. And I'm like, so nobody that was there when I lived there can be living there now. It's impossible. Well, I mean, I guess the, the issue of a city like London is that London, the inner city, and not, not even just in London, it, it's the story of cities of capital that for a period of time because of all manner of all manner of things, trends in the middle classes, were largely working class cities with obviously pockets of affluence and stuff like that. But there were places where working class people lived, more middle class people lived further out. Then there was an inversion that took place. And I think that 
in London now you have a polarization where people still have social housing. So the people that live there either are in the social housing still, getting the subsidized housing, or they're living in a, they're renting a property that used to be social housing, or they're super wealthy and they come from families who have affluence and they themselves are a high earning worker. And because it's a globalized city, much of the, the homes are owned by people who are part of that global elite. Mm -hmm. They're passing through London briefly. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're doing a secondment at Goldman Sachs or something. Maybe their family just, just bought them a property here mm -hmm. just to have in London yeah. because they know that it's now become a repository for wealth. So in that sense, you're not, it, 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 it's a city now becoming more extreme mm -hmm. and more and more polarized in that sense. And because of the globalized nature of capital, it's happening in, in all major cities. San Francisco is one of the worst cities for this. LA. Um, yeah. LA. Horrendous. So Manhattan's ridiculous. And, New York, yeah. And, there, and the truth is that there is, there is a lot of wealth in the world right now, um, a lot of wealth, but there's a greater kind of inequality opening, mm. opening up. Because at the same time, you know, there are people who are comfortably earning a quarter of a million pounds a year. Um, a lot of, you know, half a million pounds a year working in, you know, fast growth sectors, you know, working in tech, working in finance. And those workforces are a big part of, of that polarization. So even like, you know, you, you see, you pass a property, you say, wow, three grand in rent, that's mad. And then people are just like, oh, three grand in rent, good price. So. But it's, it's also wild that you could be just in the six figures and still not like that used to be like you're rich well i mean i mean that, <laughs> i mean i mean like, like, like angelo said i mean real wages are down so even if i think about my job people who were on people who do my job on those old contracts not only are they earning twice as much in real terms they were earning twice as much when this when the, what they were getting paid is was worth a lot more yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let alone the fact that they bought properties when they were dirt cheap mm -hmm. yeah. so their mortgage is low it's significantly lower and their property is worth more. Yeah. And in real terms, they're, they're on an old contra on contracts, so they earn more. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that that is a generational um, issue, but it you know requires policy intervention. But this is the result of policies that people have been lobbying for and they're happy with because it's created wealth, but not for everybody. And the issue is, is that because cities like London have become, you know, cities of capital more so than anything else, and they're no longer working class or mixed class cities, it really is about, you know, you have to find space elsewhere in real terms to really to really try to incubate that communities. Because my second book actually, <coughs> interestingly enough, I know that you got, haven't got much time, but is on the kind of black British middle class. Mm. And one of the questions that I was interested in alongside, alongside like, we have this generation of people who are university educated, do professions which would be typically seen as middle class, but it's like there's a, divergent as to whether if you come from a family that owns property then you'd probably be okay um but if you don't come from that kind of family you will struggle to own where you're from um and if that's the case now where do these people move to mm -hmm. where's the new brixton um, where's the new baldwin hills and the truth is that these spaces don't really exist and to have the whole community people have to be more intentional with how they collectively organize and arrange spaces and these yep. kind of things Dan, you yep. I was gonna say it's 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 difficult because it's a as as you were saying it's it's a policy thing it's it's a deliberate choice that we've we've organised um, the way we live like this um, and speaking specifically to to housing 
the idea that your house isn't the house, not even the home, it's an asset. Mm-hmm. In a city like London where it's at a premium, that's uh, it's it's a pretty awful place to like to find yourself in if you're wanting to get into that game but you haven't got the you know economically it's just it's just very very difficult Uh, houses going 300 400 500 over the asking at the minute because you know people can and people are people are desperate and you know it's when the supply is low those who can afford more are always going to squeeze out those who can afford less so it's the younger generation is just going to keep getting stiffed all that said um employers hit me up yeah <laughs> <laughs> i got busted feet though so don't be asking for pictures the craziest thing about that was that you called yourself a millennial that was black of the box thank you jello thank you thank you dom cheers mate thank you lana Thank you. Thank you most of all, Simeon. No, and thank you guys for having me. And thank you to your listeners for buying Get Rich or Lie Trying. Yep. Ambition Deceit in the New Influence Economy. Available in all good bookstores. And the next one's coming. <laughs> Don't ask big man questions. It's yeah. coming. <laughs> <laughs> next one's coming, coming. When it's time, we'll get you on Hattrick Bowl. Third display. Let's yeah, go. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. We out.